0: This week, we have all been hearing and talking a lot about student loan forgiveness. And that's largely because President-elect Joe Biden recently came out in support of legislation for COVID relief that would include forgiving $10,000 in student loan debt for qualifying Americans. Student loans, of course, are a big and costly problem for millions of us in this country. But is simple loan forgiveness really the right relief? Or is there more we ought to be doing to prevent student debt from piling up in the first place? This hour, we're going to explore not just the economic implications of forgiving loans, but also why it might be potentially more effective to take a look at the causes of our nation's immense student loan debt. And we want to hear from you. Do you have student loan debt? What would loan forgiveness mean to you? Would it allow you to buy a house? Would it allow you to have a child and not fear for your economic security? Join the conversation all hour long as we explore this subject. You can call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter and put comments there, and we will work you into the conversation. Call and let us know what uh, the student loan debt landscape looks in your life. Joining us now to kick this off is Kevin Carey. He is director of the education policy program at New America. He recently wrote a piece published in the New York Times about the importance of addressing these causes of student loan debt. Kevin, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So first, uh, give us uh, some background. What exactly is happening in Washington and within the Biden team that has everyone talking about potential student loan forgiveness?
1: Well, um, you know, a big part of the conversation in the Democratic primary um, where uh, President-elect Biden's you know, biggest rival was Senator Bernie Sanders, who really, you know, used this issue of uh, affordability of college to, you know, like vault himself up uh, in the previous election when he, when he uh, challenged uh, Hillary Clinton on a free college uh, uh, platform. Um, in this last primary, both Sanders and uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, called again for free college and said that we should not only make college more affordable in the future, but also forgive some of the debts that people occur, uh, accrued in the past when they didn't have free college, and so they had to borrow to go to college. And you know, as kind of part of the negotiation to bring Senator Sanders on board last year, uh, earlier this year, I should say, Um, at the conclusion of the primary, uh, President-elect Biden essentially adopted most of Senator Sanders's platform and said, yeah, I'm on board with this idea. I'm on board with free college, and I'm on board with uh, forgiving some of the past debt. Um, Now we find ourselves in a situation where, uh, you know, the plan was to do that through legislation. And I think that's, uh, you know, President-elect Biden has said he would still like to do it through legislation, um, but very unclear. Uh, We'll find out when the uh, Georgia Senate runoff um, elections happen in about three weeks, whether or not the Democrats will have control of the Senate. If they don't, it will be very hard to pass, I think, major legislation. Some people have said that the uh, Biden administration could just administratively on its own choose to forgive um, uh, uh, outstanding debt. An, An important Kind of context for the listeners: almost all of the student loan debt in America is held by the federal government, either held by the federal government or guaranteed by the federal government mm-hmm. through some older programs. Um, so, it's the the government would essentially just be writing off the loans that it itself has under this kind of proposal.
0: Um, near the beginning of the piece in the in the New York Times that you wrote. Uh, you say that uh, while the legality of executive action is up for debate, a bigger question looms. What happens if we forgive student loans without changing the system that produced them in the first place? I want to put that question to you. But before I do, um, I, I just want to talk about my, my own experience here. Uh, and, you know, I'm a parent uh, of of two teenage Uh, children who are going to go to college in a few years. And uh, we have spent uh, the balance of their lives trying to save enough money to be sure that they will be able to go to college without having loans, without having to take out loans. And so when I think about, you know, student loan forgiveness, I mean, I'm all in favor of the idea of getting this burden off of people's backs. I think uh, there's a lot of predatory behavior associated with it. I think the interest rates are are sometimes outrageous, uh, and it certainly holds people back. But I also then think about families like mine, which are on the cusp of having to afford a college education or several college educations for their children. And this would do nothing to change that picture colleges and the way in which they consistently raise tuition without, without uh, regard to inflation, without regard to, to, to wages, anything – uh, is the driver behind all of this. And the loan industry really is just kind of an abetter making all of this possible for colleges to raise tuition as much as they do and never think about where the money will come from. It seems that, that, that your mind, uh, Kevin, is really in, in the same space. What are we supposed to be thinking about? What are we supposed to be doing to make sure that this debt doesn't pile up? In the first place,
1: yeah, it's it's a complicated problem. Um, you know, the, you're absolutely right. It is the underlying increase in higher education prices that really is driving the student loan debt crisis. And again, just a little context: at the end of 2009, there was about 700 billion dollars in outstanding student loan debt. As of today, it's 1.7 trillion. So we've added a trillion dollars in student loan debt outstanding in wow. a little more than 11 years. Wow. Um, And and unlike any other kind of borrowing, completely immune to economic trends, uh, people just keep borrowing because they have to, right? Um, You know, this has not been a great last decade for the middle class. Uh, Wages have been stagnating. Um, But even as people uh, don't have more money, uh, colleges demand more money from parents Mm -hmm. like yourself who want to go to school. Some of that is because state governments have been spending less money on public higher education, particularly after the Great Recession. Um, Nearly every state cut funding for their public colleges and universities. And so those universities raised prices to make up the difference. Some states put the money back gradually. Other states didn't. They just kind of left it alone and said, this is the new normal. You have to pay more for college now. So that disinvestment in the Uh, public higher education system is part of the problem. Another part of the problem is that, frankly, colleges kind of have the world over a barrel in the sense that um, there's really no, there's no way to have a a middle-class lifestyle, to have a career without some kind of college degree. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows this, you know, the uh, wages for people who only have a high school education or less than a high school education have really collapsed over the last 30, 40 years, along with the broader blue collar economy. Um, So if you have to have something, whoever it is that's selling that something has a lot of ability to raise prices. And so, you know, colleges, you know, all that money went to colleges. Right. right? Um, And, you know, I think a lot of the particularly private colleges are caught up in kind of a, a race to have more expensive dorms and nicer buildings and, try to appeal to uh, wealthy students. But that kind of creates expectations that everyone gets caught up
0: in. And, you know, I would go even further. I mean, I've had conversations with uh, college presidents about this over a long period of time. And it seems as though that that we've reached a point where the way they think about it is maybe part of the problem. I had a conversation Uh, with the president of the University of Michigan here in in, in our state, the the flagship public university here. And he he talked about how any student who's admitted to the university can afford to go. Uh, And he said this quite proudly, that that, uh, the university has made it so that uh, financial burdens are, in his words, never a reason to not be able to attend the university. But if you peel back that statement – and look at what he's talking about. What he's talking about is making sure that everybody has access in many cases to these loans, that these loans are the way that the university ensures that their never-ending tuition increases get covered. I mean, there there is a, and, and I'm not certainly besmirching intent here. I mean, I don't think that, 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 that the intent is to create a system that kind of feeds itself, but, but that is what they've created. There is no ceiling on college tuition because there will always be money available to make sure that students can pay it. And the loan industry that surrounds this is the vehicle for, for making that possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> there's a, a kind of a rhetorical sleight of hand in the way that colleges talk about uh, financial aid. So if you're, you know, if you'll find this out when your kids apply to school in a few years. Um, you'll, you'll send your applications in and you'll get a letter back saying, congratulations, you've been admitted. Um, and then you'll get another letter saying, here's your financial aid package. And they'll say, here's the cost and there's some scholarships and there's this and there's that. and Here's how you can afford it. Um, they include loans as financial aid. Now, if you like go to buy a car, and and, the auto dealer uh, uh, arranges for you to borrow money to buy that car, Mm -hmm. they're not providing you with any kind of financial aid. They're lending you money at interest to buy what they're selling. Same thing if you go to Best Buy or, you know, whatever, finance a a TV, et cetera, et cetera. Colleges are no different, right? So it's not financial aid to lend someone money. It's financial aid to give someone money. And and so I think, and it's very confusing. They present these uh, uh, packages in ways that often – uh, it's a little hard to even understand what is a grant and what is a loan. So I think, you know, that's a big part of it. Uh, and more broadly, the whole system kind of runs on autopilot. Um, you know, the, it's and there, there really isn't actually much of a of a loan industry anymore. It's all the federal government now. Uh, the vast majority of all loans are are made by the federal government. Um, that's really been true for a long time. You know, we used to have a system where we would pay banks to make loans. Uh, But the federal government was always standing behind them, guaranteeing them. um, And they would kind of guarantee profits to the bank. We stopped that in 2010. But this is mostly a government issue, not a private lender issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, These loans are provided to provide access to higher education. And that makes a lot of sense. People, someone who's 18 years old, doesn't have a credit history. Um, They don't have assets that a bank can kind of point to in terms of saying yes or no. So we want to give people access to higher education but the consequence of that is, as you said, we do that without ever controlling prices. Um, we don't say to colleges, you know what, you can't keep raising tuition every year if you want access to this loan system, and that's because colleges want it that way. I, I work in Washington D.C. Um, I deal with the higher education lobby all the time. They're not really any different than the you know the oil lobby or the you know the agriculture lobby. They want what all lobbyists want, which is a lot of federal money and no accountability for how to spend it. Wow. Uh,
0: again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone's call and tell us about your experience with student loan debt. Is it something that forces you to make all kinds of other financial decisions in your house, in your life, maybe holding off on purchasing a house, holding off on having a child, uh, making long-term financial commitments because you've got this burden uh, to bear. Uh, g- give us a call. Let us know what you think should be done. Is forgiveness, loan forgiveness, the way that we should uh, should be able to do that? Uh, as always, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we will work you into the conversation. Uh, I, I want to work another voice into the into the conversation here before uh, we get to other listeners. Uh, Marie Mohammed graduated from Wayne State University in 2017 with more than $10,000 in student loan debt. Uh, she joins us now to talk about that. Marie, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, tell us what that has been like. Uh, you, you did graduate from Wayne State University. Uh, is the is the burden of the student loans keeping you from realizing all of the, the benefits of having gotten that degree?
2: I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it can definitely be crippling. Um, I haven't re- really thought of it too much lately because, you know, with everything going on, but I definitely started getting those uh, emails and phone calls again saying, this uh Loan repayment uh, pause is going to be ending soon. And I really have to think about that, like, give you some anxiety about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because, I mean, I'm thinking nothing I put towards it is going to put a dent in the repayment. So it's like, why bother? Mm-hmm.
0: So so give us a sense of uh, what kind of work you found after graduation and whether that work made it possible for you to, to, to pay back the loans at a, at a, at a reasonable rate?
2: Um, <laughs> boy, um, you know, they, they promise you like, oh, if you go for this career, you're gonna make this much, you'll be able to pay it back. They say try to have, uh, earn more than I think half, of what you owe and you'd be able to pay it back but leaving college uh, it's definitely it was definitely difficult finding employment that you know i could use to pay it back Uh, i was working as a lab technician Mm -hmm. at the um, university's medical school and oh gosh it was nowhere near the amount that you know i should have been being paid but you know, for that specific position, you know they were getting paid with the grant understandable research grant. however, um just looking for other employment while I was there was was just ridiculous. Um, I was working full time, making less than fifteen an hour. Wow, um, yeah, and I actually had to negotiate just to get get them to give me another like an actual raise or you know something I should have already been given. It should have been way more, but
0: yeah. and and their, I said, in, yeah, I said in introducing you that you had more than ten thousand dollars in loans, <laughs> and it's actually more than that, correct? Yes,
2: wow. uh, um, it's uh over 50 grand.
0: Wow, wow,
2: and and like I said, nothing it's kind of discouraging, nothing I put towards it is making a dent. I'm making strides, I mean, I don't have much debt. Personally, you know, like I said, it gives me anxiety to even have debt. So I've been making payments towards it and, um, another debt of mine and the other debt, you know, they're more reasonable. They're, um, understanding about, you know, even before the pandemic, pandemic, what's going, what was going on. And, you know, they worked with me. Like I'm on a payment plan with them where if I'm making payments, 0% interest, like they freeze it, like, no more interest while you're making payments, no matter how small the payment is. Right. And I know with these loans, you know, you got to make a minimum amount of payment, but with theirs, they, if I'm struggling, if I fall on financial, you know, hard financial times, they'll defer like, okay, just work with us. Let us know. They'll do it for a month or another month. Like I was in between jobs a lot after college. So I would call them up and like, Hey, you know, plainly stated, I just can't make the payment. They're like, okay, well, we'll push you off for a month or two months. Yeah. With these student loans, like, it just feels like there's no break. They have programs for repayments and stuff. Like I said, I would make payments on that, but there's just no wiggle wiggle room. And then the interest rates are so high that even if I pay it, there's I can't make a dent.
0: Yeah uh Marie I pay it in full right Marie I, I really appreciate uh, you calling and and sharing the details of that story I think that is one of the things that that gets lost in this is that uh, people's lives get shaped by this kind of debt and and even though they've done the right thing gone to college gotten a degree gotten a job uh, they are not making the kind of money they need to 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 even service that debt let alone let alone pay it down. Uh, Marie, really uh, glad again that you called. Uh, Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about student loan debt and what should be done about it in this country. Uh, We're going to keep Kevin Carey with us and uh, introduce another voice to the conversation when we come back. We also want to continue to hear your voices. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. On the phones, you can go to Facebook and Twitter, where we already got lots of comments about this, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 101.9 WDET,
3: Detroit's NPR station.
0: This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you have joined us. We're talking this hour about student loan debt and whether we might be on the verge of relieving a lot of those debts for millions of Americans, whether we should be doing that as a policy matter, and whether we ought to also be looking at the causes of student loan debt, the never-ending rise in costs of uh, college tuition, for instance, uh, the huge industry that has grown up around the idea of providing those loans for people to go to college. Are those things that we need to take a look at and reform as well we want to hear from you too uh, as well about uh, what your experience is with student loan debt how much you have, uh, how much you are able to pay down, and whether you understood when you took on those loans that these were the obligations that you would face even after you graduated and got out and got a job. As always, the number on the phones is 313 1019 That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, put comments there. And we will try to work you into the program. Uh, My guest is Kevin Carey. He's director of the education policy program at New America. Recently wrote a piece in the New York Times about the importance of addressing the causes of student loan debt. Uh, I want to add another voice to the conversation here. Matthew Chingos is director of the Urban Institute's Center on Education Data and Policy, and author of the book Game of Loans: The Rhetoric and Reality of student debt. Matthew, welcome to the conversation.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: So I I would love to have you, Matt, uh, address the question of what canceling student debt would do for the economy. It's one of the things that people point to as a reason to consider this. Uh, What would that what would that look like?
4: I think the short answer is right now it wouldn't do all that much right now payments are paused we just learned that the Trump administration is gonna extend that through the end of January it seems very likely the Biden administration's gonna extend that for at least uh, several months longer so right now people aren't expected to make payments on their student loans so forgiving their debts not gonna put money in their pocket today it means they're not gonna to have to expect to make payments in the future so I could imagine some folks might say, well, I'm not going to have to make those payments for a while. Maybe I'll think about a, a big purchase like a, like a house or a car. Maybe that becomes a little bit more in reach for some folks. Those are probably not the folks who are struggling the most with their student loans. Um, there's also a possibility there could be a negative impact because a lot of folks uh, think that forgiving people's debt would generate taxable income for them. So what you could be doing is turning someone's student debt into a tax debt that could actually take some money out of their pockets today and have a negative effect on the economy.
0: Mm. Uh, you write that this is not a, quote, cost-effective form of economic stimulus. Uh, those examples you're giving, I think, are, are what, what you mean when you say that.
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. It's not cost-effective compared to, say, just writing someone a check for the same amount. Also if you write checks for people, as you know, Congress is debating at this very moment. You get that money to them today, not just reducing payments they're going to have to make over a long period of time. And when you want to stimulate the economy, you want to give people money to spend today. Of course, one of the debates we're hearing is that well, if Congress doesn't act, if they don't get those checks for people, and you know President Biden feels that he has no other option, should student loan cancellation kind of be on the table? And I see it more as maybe an opening position, a negotiating tactic to get Congress to do a much more better policy for for Americans and for, for taxpayers. Um, and maybe maybe an option of last resort, but it's not where you want to start. Mm.
0: Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Ben in Rochester Hills. Ben, welcome to the show.
5: Morning, Stephen. Hey. Um, so I graduated in twenty fourteen uh, from the University of Nebraska with about thirty thousand uh, dollars in student loan debt, mm-hmm. and since then I've paid off about twenty thousand of that. Mm um that involved uh you know i was able to get a job as an engineer in and uh, one of the big 3 um you know I had to move here from michigan for that um and you know it wasn't probably as difficult as a lot of the people i know there's a lot of people who are having a much difficult time but it was you know something that probably kept me from um delaying buying a house a little bit um stuff like that and it's you know it's just Constantly over your head, a little, you know, this constant little debt that you're just trying to manage and try and pick away at.
0: So, so Ben, my question to you is: When you were going to college and needed money to make up the gap that you had to, to what you had to, uh, versus what the tuition was, and took these loans, what did you think it would look like when you when you got out? Were you were you expecting, for instance, that it would be the size of a burden once you graduated and got a job, or did you think it would be more manageable?
5: Um, I think the expectations and the reality were, you know, close to each other. Um, I was just so focused on, you know, in my mind, the only way to, to get out of the situation I had, you know, I was in at that point and make something more for myself at that time was to go to college and, and, you know, getting those those federal student loans were the were the only option. so mm-hmm. um, it was kind of a just it was kind of a has to do it, right? there was there was no other solution um, to you know, otherwise I'd have to you know be who knows what I could do today,
0: right, right. Uh, Kevin Carey, you were talking about earlier that compelling interest that there is in going to college, getting a degree, and getting access to all. Of the opportunity that lays on the other side of of that college degree, um, uh, but but hearing Ben talk about it, um, you know uh, again, there's this question of no you know, knowing what you're getting into and whether whether there's a fairness, I guess uh, that that you could attach to the idea of saying, "I am going to borrow this money and I know I have to pay it back, uh, even though. As you point out, it's not really uh, a choice that has much of an alternative. I mean, we don't give people the choice of uh, joining the middle class, for instance, uh, without really going to college. I mean, there's something about that that seems imbalanced.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a big underlying question in this discussion, which is, do we think of higher education as a public service? that we should provide uh, to everyone, either at a very affordable price uh, or for free that they don't have to borrow money uh, to have, or should we let higher education be essentially a private good um, provided by the free market? Um, What's complicated is that it's kind of some of both, you know, I mean, a a credential is valuable. And I think the story we just heard of someone who, uh, you know, went to college, got valuable skills that they were able to then use to get a job and pay their loan back, um, that's one way to think about higher learning. And, if, you know, and a, a lot of loans work exactly that way. Not all loans are in crisis. Most are not. Most are being repaid. Um, but that does come at a cost. Um, you know, I went to college in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, uh, it was very inexpensive. My parents were able to just pay out of pocket. It was about $3,500 a year in tuition. I had no student loan debt. Um, which means I didn't have to wait to uh, borrow money to do something else. I could go ahead and get married and uh, uh, take out a mortgage and kind of launch myself. Um I probably could have paid I could have paid it back um if I had had to borrow. But the fact that people can pay their loans back doesn't necessarily mean it was a good idea mm. to make them take out loans in the first place.
0: Mm. yeah uh, again, three one three, five seven, seven. 1019 is the number on the phones. I want to go through some of the Twitter comments that we have We have a lot of folks on Twitter uh, talking about this. Uh, Rob on Twitter says, forgiving loans is one thing, but if the structure that allowed such loans and debts to accumulate is left in place, the problem will return. It needs to be a two-part effort. Loan forgiveness and reform of cost, I doubt both could be achieved at once or at all. Linda on Twitter says, I think canceling all loans would be a slap in the face to those who worked and paid for school or have paid off their loans. I do believe some people need relief from huge loans when they are in low-paying jobs. Interest forgiveness and restructuring could work. Dan on Twitter says, I owe almost six figures, half of that in interest. When the debt got too high for my income, I had to withdraw from classes. Currently, I will be unable to retire and will likely die with this debt, I'd like a degree, but I can't afford it. Uh, Chris on Twitter says, uh, I finished grad school 11 years ago and I owe now more now than I did on graduation day. I have never missed a payment. I can't afford a home with this $1,000 payment every month. And I'm nearing 40 and still don't think I can afford children. Really, really harrowing uh, stories about the way people deal with these debts. Um, let's go to Draython in Kigo Harbor.
6: Draython, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, yeah, I was uh, just thinking that the, the, the solution has to be a comprehensive approach to uh, the student debt uh, situation. Obviously, we all know that uh, you know, when I was in school and I came out in 1985, uh, the costs were a lot lower um, uh, than what kids have to deal with today. But the, we have to look at what the universities have to do to adjust their priorities. Um, the federal government could can, can pressure on universities by, by limiting what they give and also uh, the students appearance. We have to look at the cost of the tuition versus the return our kids are going to get based on um, their professions. There's so much data that we can, as our fingertips, to find out what that information is. So if we know a career is going to only average about $50,000 a year, but they're going to take on... A Ivy League uh, education—it <laughs> hmm. um, doesn't make financial sense. So we we also need to um, be responsible for looking at that ourselves. But the combination of all those things over time with the pressure. You can't change the system the way it is today overnight. Um, if anything, I've learned uh, about my time on this earth is—you know—people make money off of this stuff, and you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to change it. But if we, as as students and parents, start to to look at how that system works and, and make decisions based on that, it'll make a, a huge difference. One other thing we need to look at is um, uh, this is hurting us even in terms of how we look at four-year degrees. If you look at 1990, U.S. was number one four-year degrees, and now we're we're like ranked 15th. You've slipped way down. Yes, we. have. Yeah, it's, it's gone way down, and there's been a since I was in college and you know, graduated in, in 1985. There's a 500 over a 500 percent increase in. And tuition costs—that's mm-hmm. just—that's insane. Yeah, uh, at i so it's much I, harder for kids to afford this stuff too. Yeah,
0: I, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts, uh, Matthew Chingos. Talk about some of the ways if overall debt forgiveness is maybe not the best way to stimulate the economy, uh, which is one one of the dynamics that that we're focused on here. What would be things that, that you could do? I mean there is this this problem, and there are got to be ways to, to do it differently. What would you put on the table
4: i think it 's a really important point. We need to do something about the student debt issue, and you know the stimulating economy is, is kind of a kind of a side issue from the perspective of what do we do about student loans mm-hmm. and I really agree with, with the callers and with the Twitter comments saying. We need a comprehensive solution that looks forward and backwards at the same time. We can't cancel this debt and then go right back on making the same loans on the same terms uh, tomorrow. We need to fix the system so people can't borrow to go to programs that time and time again don't yield payoffs for them. We know they're not going to be able to pay the debt. Um, We need to fix these flexible repayment options. People can pay back based on their income. They only have to pay 10% of their discretionary income every month towards their loans. But it's clearly not working. People don't know about it. They find it too hard to navigate. They find it too demoralizing to make the 10% of income payments and then see their balance go up because of, of, of interest. So what we really need to do is fix the system going forward and then take a look back and say, where did we screw up? And, yeah, let's forgive some of that debt. Let's not make someone, you know, send in their tax return every year to prove that they have a very low income for the next twenty years before we wipe out the debt. Let's 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 just cancel some of that debt now. But we have to fix it going forward and looking back at the same time so we don't just make an even bigger mess of what's already a pretty big mess.
0: Okay, we are going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation about student loan debt, and we'll continue to hear from you about your experiences with it. John on the east side, Kevin in Sterling Heights, Dale in Farmington Hills. We will hear from you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today, I'm your host Stephen Henderson and I'm really glad that you joined us. My guest is Kevin Carey, director of the education policy program at New America, recently wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about the importance of addressing the causes of student loan debt. We've also got Matthew Chingos with us. He is a director of the Urban Institute's Center on Education Data and Policy and author of the book, Game of Loans, The Rhetoric and Reality of Student Debt. We are talking about student debt this hour, uh, the proposals to reform or relieve a significant amount of student debt, and whether we ought to go further. How do we make sure that Americans aren't taking on so much of this debt? In the first place, uh, we want to hear from you as well about your experience with student loan debt. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can go to also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Dale in Farmington Hills. Dale, welcome to the show. Good
3: morning. Hi. Um, I, hi. Hey, um, I graduated with a master's degree from Northwestern in two thousand three, and at the time, I took about seventy-two thousand dollars in debt. Hmm. Today I still owe about fifty thousand. I think the reason is um, every time you do a forbearance or deferral, once you're done, the interest that accrued is recapitalized. So mm-hmm. your balance can actually go well, will actually go, go up. up. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got sort of two solutions and I think they're they're passable through Congress. And that's I think that's the biggest fight we're gonna have. One is either drop the interest rate to something like two percent or eliminate it entirely, Mm -hmm. make it an interest-free loan, or forgive the interest, or both. Um, And the second thing I think we need to do is change the bankruptcy lodge. If you declare bankruptcy, unless you're completely incapacitated, you can't discharge your student
0: debt. They don't wipe out your student loan debt, that's right.
3: Right, and that happened, I think, during the Bush administration, um, and uh, one of the problems was people who were high-income Folks would declare bankruptcy and their credit wouldn't be terribly damaged because they were in high income jobs and they could still, you know, this was part of the, particularly true among young doctors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, y- you, yeah, so those are the two solutions. I'm Dale, I think about. those
0: are those are really interesting ideas. I'm glad you called uh, and suggested them. Kevin Carey, what about what about those as. Not just that replacements for for relief, necessarily, but but maybe as a way of of getting in going in that direction uh, in a way that Congress might be more amenable to,
1: yeah, I think um,
0: <clears throat>
1: I think Congress is probably going to do a couple of things. One, they're going to prioritize undergraduate borrowers over graduate borrowers. Mm-hmm. I think there's more of a sense that we have an obligation to make an undergraduate education. Uh, affordable uh, for everybody, uh, debt-free for everybody. Um, Whereas graduate school operates a little more like just a private market, even including public universities and especially private ones like Northwestern Um, graduate school borrowers also tend to be a lot better at being able to pay their loans back. Um, The second thing is, you know, we we do have a system now and have had it for uh, since the late about 2008 um, where uh, any borrower can uh, put their, their, their loans into what's called income driven repayment. Um, So you only pay a a percentage uh, of your uh, uh, disposable income um, every month. So there's, there's no danger that the loan payment is just going to completely wipe you out. Um, And then you can have any remaining loan balance forgiven um, after 20 years uh, for, for anyone. And then if you're in a public service job after 10 years now, uh, unfortunately, the Congress designed the Public Loan Loan Service program in an incredibly complicated and confusing way, and, and the vast majority of people who have tried to get forgiveness so far have had their applications rejected for all kinds of complicated reasons. Um, so I think we should we need to make those programs work better. Uh, you know, Matt Chingos uh, you know alluded to some of the things we can do to just make it a lot easier, a lot less administratively burdensome, um, so people can actually. Uh, uh, make affordable payments for a certain amount of time, and then have their their balance forgiven at the end.
0: Mm. Um, uh, Matthew, I would love to hear your reaction to Dale's suggestions as well.
4: Yeah, so I think one big thing we have to do is just rein in the amount of borrowing that um, that graduate students can take on. Something like graduate students are something like fifteen percent of borrowers, but half the debt now. So as Kevin pointed out. We often think of this as a college debt issue, but it's really a graduate school debt issue. And if we could rein in the borrowing there, so basically undergraduates can't borrow more than generally $30,000, $40,000. Graduate students can borrow unlimited um, amounts. So what that means is when we talk about these policy options, like, hey, let's try and bring down the interest rates. Let's make this easier for people to repay. That makes a lot of sense for people who borrowed, you know, $20,000, $30,000 for an undergraduate, even for a graduate degree, a relatively modest amount. But it potentially creates big loopholes for big benefits to go to doctors and lawyers who are making big incomes but took on $200,000 in debt for a law degree. Or medical degree, you reduce their interest rate. They save a lot of money that they don't need to save. You forgive their loans after 10 years of payments and public service. They get a huge, a huge handout that maybe you don't want to give them. So I think by kind of reining in the amount of borrowing people can take on, reducing the debt that people can borrow from the federal government, it opens up a lot of options to you in terms of these flexible repayment options, lower interest rates that aren't going to result in these big sort of arbitrary flows of, of cash really, um, to people with with pretty high incomes. Mm.
0: Uh, I want to get to some more Twitter comments here. Edward says200,000 and still growing over half is capitalized interest. Uh, can't buy a house, can't save for retirement. Uh, Chris, Says, I finished grad school 11 years ago and I owe more now than I did on graduation day. I never missed a payment. I can't afford a house uh, with this with this debt. Courtney on Twitter says, lowering payments and extending plan basically turns student loan into 25-year maxed out equity line. And Lender obviously doesn't care that we had emergency plumbing and medical bills in 2019. The, the stories that, uh, that people are living with and living through. Continue to to, to come in uh, through uh, through Twitter on this subject. Let's go to Kevin in Sterling Heights. Kevin, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi. Why the debt is slavery? Uh, I say this as a white bread WASP American, but (laughs) debt is
6: slavery. Why is the government in a program sponsoring a program that promotes slavery?
0: Well, you know, I, Kevin, I think that's very strong language and I, I don't necessarily resist the, 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 the comparison other than to say I think slavery was slavery and it's very hard to compare other things to it. But I understand what you're saying, which is that it it gives it's a giving up of, of freedom uh, that that uh, that is analogous to the idea of losing other kinds of other kinds of freedoms. The question about whether the government is involved, why the government is involved in that isn't an interesting one, though. And I'd love to, to hear Kevin Carey uh, talk a little about why wouldn't the government just get out of this business? And would that force colleges to keep costs more affordable?
1: Well, the you know the, the loan student loan program goes back to the late 1960s, early 1970s um, when credit markets were a lot more restricted. But even now, um, if you're 18 years old, you have no credit history, you have no assets, uh, it's going to be hard for you to go to a bank mm-hmm. um, and get a loan. Or if you get a loan, you're going to have to pay it on – you're going to have to get it on much worse terms than the federal government is offering right now yeah. in terms of your interest rate, in terms of your options for repayment. Um, And that's going to restrict access to higher education. So so that's the whole underlying rationale for having a loan system in place. So so more people can go to college um, and get those degrees and kind of participate in the good parts of the economy. The problem is uh, the after effects of having an enormous loan program where there are no credit standards. One of the things that uh, Machingo's alluded to that I think is a great idea is the federal government should be take a much closer look at which colleges and which programs get to participate mm-hmm. in the loan program and not allow people to use their federal loans uh, to go to a college or a program that has a long history of students not getting, being able to get good jobs, dropping out of the programs and defaulting on their loans, of which there are many, and, they, and many of them are open for business right now.
0: Yeah. Okay. Kevin Carey, director of the education policy program at New America. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thank you very much for joining. Thanks for having me. And Matthew Chingos, director of the Urban Institute's Center on Education, Data, and Policy. was great to have you here as well. Thank you. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow for a conversation about the big debate over pods, also known as the group of people we feel safe to be around amid the pandemic. It turns out we all have a different definition of that term, and that's actually a problem for controlling the spread of COVID-19. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.